Hi, and welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, and in this Simply Happy Conversation, I'm talking with Rebecca Mazzino, a professional organizer and declutter coach with over 18 years of experience. She shares ideas to support people with complex needs using a person-centered approach. She also talks about the difference between hoarding behaviors and hoarding disorders, misconceptions, and how best to support both. This conversation is a video recording that you can also watch on YouTube. Let's jump into this Simply Happy guest conversation. Welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, wellness and organizational coach and yin and nidra yoga instructor. This podcast will help you create more time using organizational strategies so that you can start to simplify your life and prioritize your health. I'll be sharing conversations with other health and organizational experts and solo episodes with tips to help you simplify your life and prioritize your health. So today on Simply Happy Conversations, I'm talking with Beck Mazzino, a declutter coach, and she has over 15 years of experience helping people to simplify their lives and look at their relationship with their stuff. And so this is the second time I've actually had Beck on the podcast. So it's great to have you back. Welcome, Beck. Hi, thank you. It's up to 18 years now. Like I, 18 years, is it? I think. Oh, yeah. I think I just got that from your website. <laughs> I'm not very good at updating those kinds of things. Again. And I had someone else introduce me recently and they said like 13 years and I was like, wow, it's been a while since whatever I said her was updated. <laughs> so, yeah, 18, yeah, 18, 18 years. 18 years. Oh. The end of this year, yeah. Oh, so that's amazing. So tell us then, what have you been up to over the last two years? Because I think when I had you on last year, you were still doing the, oh, even two years ago, podcast and you also were. Uh, you were just rebranding then. I was, that's right, yeah. yeah. So um, the old brand, Clear Space, which was the business I started in 2005, um, that one is largely now being used by my husband for estate clearances and downsizing. And so I did rebrand into just Rebecca Mazzino Declutter Coaching and did a separate website and all that just so that we, you know, it was just a bit easier um, for me to put all the information on that I needed and it wasn't going to get lost somewhere. And same with Mick's stuff, you know, his his information about his service wasn't going to get lost amongst mine. So we have, you know, we rebranded there. And, and yeah, I was still doing the podcast. Um, we did finish that one up. Our last episode was um, our 200th episode. So they're all still available to listen to, but we don't record any new ones. And so, yeah, things have changed. So we, have the, we don't do the podcast anymore. And, um, and so, yeah, but I'm continuing on with the same kind of work that I've been doing the whole time, really. So what about these the complex needs that you're working with now? How and why did you get into that area and how long has it been sort of? Oh, I think it's been a good 10 years or more that I've been working with complex cases and it, it, I suppose it ramped up when the NDIS came in um, because the demand suddenly sort of skyrocketed um, for, for an organiser that had a bit of experience in working with people with additional needs um, and not necessarily, you know, worse needs if <laughs> want of a better word or, or higher needs but just different needs and um and also people that are more vulnerable as well so um there was that that increased um, need and I think you know as far as how I sort of got into that I guess it's just given how long I've been doing this and how much experience I've got um people tended to come to me as the more experienced one to sort of say you know well we've got you know, this particular but this need, person needs help and they might have worked with another organiser that was less experienced and didn't have a, a great outcome or they had, you know, particular needs and they were sort of like, we need someone who knows this and who knows this and who can do this. And so I just started getting more of that work and then, of course, the more you get, the more 
referrals you get <laughs> and the more um, the more people call you and the more support coordinators are calling me going, hey, you know, and then they've got one client that they work with so then they ring me up about another one. And then they tell other support coordinators. So it just grew. And so, you know, I think it's because partially, you know, I'm, I'm good at it and also, you know, partially because, you know, the more you do, the, the more you get. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you obviously have to have a passion for that area too, though. Mm, I really do. I have like I have a real passion for gentle, gentleness and person-centred approaches. And I think that that's particularly important with disability um, or with any complex needs or with mental health is that person-centred approach. You know, you can't just have someone come in and say, you know, all right, so you you said you've got a problem with your kitchen. I'll just organise it. You know, you stand over there. I'm going to pull everything out. I'm going to ask you, what do you want to use? How long have you used this for? Then I'm going to stick it back in again. Um, all the while I'm going to sort of huff and puff about, you know, how much you've got, how much stuff you've got. And, you know, I'm going to do all this sort of stuff and say, you know, oh, it's easy, just don't buy it, you know, all those kinds of statements. And that's the kind of approach that um, someone without experience <laughs> or without a person-centred approach might take. And that has definitely happened to my clients before with people who aren't trained in, in more complex cases. And so, you know, it, it's... I forget your question. Oh, just like how you got into this, the complex, but even just sharing about the complex needs. And one of the things though. I talked so much I forgot if there was a question at the other end. No, we were just talking about, but but it, it just reminded me of the story you've shared about centred, uh, you know, person-centred approach of the lady in her little room and she had a, I think she had a walking frame and she was, you know, only had a small area, but you had some trolleys for her and it was considered cluttered. Like, do you want to expand on that? Because I love that story. I think that's a great example of a person-centred approach, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really good example about how somebody who is either not trained or uninformed or doesn't take a person-centred approach can actually do more harm when in an intervention that's not required. So I've got one client, I've been working with her for some time and we've worked on um, her sort of certain areas in her home and we've got it pretty much how she's happy. And it's not, obviously, someone else might walk in and go, oh, well, I I wouldn't set it up like this or I wouldn't have my room doing this or whatever. But she's happy with the way it's all set up. And I had the support coordinator email me and said, I'm really worried about, let's call her, Sharon, really worried about Sharon. Um, she seems to be bringing more clutter in. She's got all this clutter around her in her chair. Um, and then she started to talk about how, oh, I think it's because she feels like she doesn't have any control. So she's hoarding and she's hoarding all this stuff and she's, you know, throwing these words around. And I'm reading this email going, nah, <laughs> nah. And so um, I emailed the support coordinator back and I said, actually, let me just explain to you what's really going on here with Sharon. One She's happy. She is comfortable with the way her home is at the moment and she's safe. I have checked for all of the safety things. I said there were some tripping hazards the last time I went there, which this support coordinator had highlighted to her as well. And I said, so we cleared those in the last session. And I said, the things that you're talking about around her simply a manifestation of what it's like to live with a disability. And if you have to be in your chair for 20 hours a day, 
you are not going to want to have to be getting up and going and getting things all the time. When you live in chronic pain, when things are really hard for you, it's hard for you to move, you know, you want everything to be at arm's reach. And so, you know, we, we set up these trolleys and she had sort of, you know, she's got everything around her. So she's got her water and she's got her hand cream and she's got all her charges and her remotes and she's got um, her diary and some craft things and everything's around her so she can reach it all. But this support coordinator was like, oh, she's boarding. I'm like, no, she's just setting up her life so that she's comfortable and she's happy. It looks too cluttered to this woman who wouldn't have that in her own home. But if you ask this client, the client's like, um, this is what I want. And, you know, and that's exactly what, you know, so I had the discussion with the client. And I said, oh, you know, support coordinator said this, this and this. And the client went, but why? Like, it's fine. I said, exactly. <laughs> it's fine. You're fine. And there are, you know, there are a couple of minor things to deal with. You know, she, you know, the, the kitchen bench space probably needs to be a little bit clearer and all that. But at the same time, you know, she doesn't cook a lot of her own meals anyway. Um, she can easily make toast and soup and that's what she eats a lot. So she's, it's all safe, you know, it's all safe. But that's an example. Yeah. Know, and and I have another client as well that that had another service come in and and she'd used me before, but this particular funding she was going to get as a bonus, so she wouldn't have to use my my her NDIS funding for me. She could use this other agency's funding, and but this other agency made her use a, a different organisation to me. And I so I warned her and I said, look, there is a chance here that they could just be cleaners, um, and not nothing bad against cleaners, but they might not be trained in you know, organising for somebody with complex needs. And um, she messaged me um, about six weeks later and she said, I'm so glad you warned me about this because this was awful. It was a horrible experience. They made her, they booked her for five hours straight away. I'm like, oh, my God, five, five hours. hours. You know, yeah, this, this, she's autistic and she has anxiety and she's really busy and she's like a really busy family and everything like that. And so they've done this, this to her. She said after two and a half hours of being judged and belittled, she just, and having someone else tell her what is meant to happen to her stuff, she just said, I can't do this anymore. And so they left, still charged her for the five hours and still took the whole five hours. And, it was, and I was like, oh, I mean, I understand the business practice of charging for what you've booked, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't have booked five hours. No, exactly. We both would have said two hours is possibly enough yes. for you. Yes. And I'm happy to do two hours because of that reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And um, and, and I, when I work with this client, I do work with her for two hours. Sometimes we've done three hours and what yeah. we do is we assess at the two-hour mark. Like yeah. I'll say to her, you know, and if I've got space, obviously, if I don't have a client like half an hour after, we can't go longer. But if I say to her, look, we've got time. I've got time for mm. another hour. Let's do it. And sometimes I will block away the three, but we'll recess at two and finish at two, you know. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's something that is really necessary when working with people with um, who, are, who are more vulnerable or who have um, energy issues or get overwhelmed really easily. Like neurodiverse people get overwhelmed, you know, really mm. easily and it's just a lot. And, and a lot of people don't consider the fact that, you know, you might be one of 10 appointments that they have that week. Yeah. They've only got a certain number of spoons. And if you use all of them up on Monday afternoon doing a six-hour decluttering thing, they are out for the rest of the week. Like yes. they're, they're not going to be able to fulfill the other things that they want, either their obligations or the fun things that they want to do. Um, and, you know, that has to be, we have to consider that, you know, there there is there are only so many spoons that people have. Um, and I always assume that they have limited spoons because assuming that is, and being wrong is better than assuming the other way around. You know, oh, definitely. Limited spoons then, you know then they, they'll tell me, they'll say, I don't need to stop after two, let's go. Like, I'm good. You know, I, I can. I know how to regulate. I'm, I'm cool with that. And then others will be like, you know, yes, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't do more than <laughs> two hours. Then I've had some, 
you know, and, I, I, and I've also changed my policy recently and I now have a minimum of one hour um, yeah. and I have a, a different rate for that hour because I found that I had a couple of clients who were, I was losing at 45 minute mark yeah. and I could see that and I was like, they're not getting anything out of this and legally I was able to charge two hours because that was what was in the service mm. agreement. I could charge two hours because that was my minimum uh, and they had agreed to that and they often verbally would say, you know, oh, you can still charge, you know, but I just thought ethically working with someone who I know is not going to go over an hour and still booking two hour appointments with them because that's my policy, you know, it's not, it's not right. So I changed my policy. So um, I have now some one hour. There's requirements, obviously, they can't live miles and miles and miles away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, and it's a slightly higher rate to, to sort of compensate for that. But, um, you know, it does suit few of my clients to just have those one hour sessions. Um, and, you know, it's too much for them anymore. Yep, I have an hour and a half this afternoon and that's exactly the same reason because I know we get to the sort of hour we can do a little bit more and but that's enough. So it's like let's just do it an hour and a half. I'm happy with that and, um, yeah, it works. It works for both myself and for the client. So, yeah. yes, I think that we there's no hard and fast rules and it's working with the person and the energy and, and the spoons really because you do with complex needs, we do have to look at that. So what about you touched on a little bit about hoarding behaviours or hoarding disorder that, um, you know, some people may may mention. Tell us a little bit more about it. Define it for us. Because it is a word that is thrown around all the time. Like I get it all the time when I get an inquiry. Oh, I have hoarding disorder. It's like, hang on, do you have that diagnosed? No, 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 I'm just saying I am. So, yeah. Yes. Usually in that case, if they don't have a diagnosis, they'll say, I am a hoarder. Mm, yeah. They usually don't use the disorder name because they kind of don't really know about it if unless they're diagnosed. Um, yeah. So you you will say people say, oh, I'm a hoarder, or they'll say, or oh, their support coordinator will call them a hoarder or their family member will call them hoarder and they don't necessarily have hoarding disorder. So, yeah, hoarding disorder is an actual mental illness with a um, diagnostic criteria that needs to be met before you can have the condition, basically. Um, and the di- it's in the DSM-5. The diagnostic criteria is pretty clear. Um, you know, you have to have uh, the inability to part with possessions regardless of their value. Um, you need to have the behaviour of compulsively acquiring those acquiring items. Uh, you need to have areas of your home that most areas of your home unusable for their primary purpose uh, and that the behaviours all cause significant impairment to life and distress. And so if you meet all those criteria, then hoarding disorder. And also um, they will check uh, when they're diagnosing whether or not you have a another condition that could be the reason why the body behaviours exist um, before they'll diagnose. So they may, they may sort of say, well, actually it's the OCD, that's doing that so we won't give you a hoarding disorder diagnosis because OCD seems to be the the reason why you're um, compulsively acquiring and your trauma is the reason why you're not letting go or your PTSD is why you're not letting go so there might be other conditions also but you know overall if there aren't any other conditions then hoarding disorder will be the diagnosis and usually hoarding disorder is you know people would have seen it on tv on the shows Um, and you know it's quite and it's not always that dramatic like people, I live. I, have, I mean, I have a client with hoarding disorder. I saw her yesterday, uh, and she doesn't live in squalor. You know, mm. the house. There are no pests in the house. There's no odor. There's no smell. It's not like what's on TV. There are really high volumes of stuff, though, 
And if she even has to consider parting with something, it's significantly distressing for her. Um, so there will be lots of tears, you know, over the idea of, of getting rid of things. And, and, you know, there are some people with wooden disorder who can't part with anything, whereas, you know, she can part with some things. It doesn't mean she doesn't have the disorder. Um, we got rid of a whole lot of stuff that had been water damaged yesterday, you know, and she was happy to get, she wasn't happy, she was willing to get rid of them. But I could see in the process of her doing that, that the things that she would take out, there were a couple of things where she actually was really disappointed and really upset that they'd got damaged because she would have kept it. And then there were other things that she sort of went, oh, oops, <laughs> got ruined that, you know, uh, and, and she could get rid of it. So it, there's sort of a, there's definitely a spectrum with regards to hoarding disorder and um, there there is that range. And she is sort of more on the, um, I guess, her, as far as her symptoms go, um, as far as keeping goes, she she has those high high levels of keeping, but she has a really high um, motivation to want to change, yeah. which is really good. Uh, and, so, and that is different to what you might see from some of the people on TV. Their motivation for change is often relatively low. Um, their fear just, you know, sort of overtakes it and um and they they don't want to change or um they turn turn help away and say no I'll, i I want to do with this whereas she help seeks um which um, is obviously going to help her in the long run if she's you know, motivated to change but um but yeah there's there's a whole spectrum so it's not always what you see on tv it's not always dead cats in a freezer and stuff like that you know it's it's um, sometimes just a lot of stuff and a strong attachment to it yeah and lots of stuff coming in Yes, that's a, it's a lot of stuff like we might do a lot of work and then we come back the next week and it's like, oh, my goodness, I can't keep up. Like there's yeah, so right. much stuff, isn't it? Fortunately, especially with hoarding disorder, more comes in than it goes out and so yes. it's a real battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People working with these people and for the people themselves to try and make some headway because, you know, they and they these behaviours, they, you know, a lot of the time they know they're doing them and they know they're harmful. It's the same as everyone else. It's mm. the same as a smoker who looks at the packet where it says, you know, causes lung cancer yeah yeah in your picture and they yeah and they pop one in their mouth anyway yeah Um, you know and it's the same with you know those of you know people that say i'll just do one more pokies you know um just that just a few more bits on the pokies it's the same kind of thing you know you know it's not good for you but you you can't help it it's there's a compulsion there so um and then they can and you know this client in particular has said to me once she said you know she said i just can't believe how stupid i am she said i've bought all this stuff and here we are Working hard, I'm paying for you out of my NDIS funds to come at me throughout stuff, and here I am showing you all the things that I brought home. Yeah, you know? and um, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's part of the it's part of the mental illness. Yes, that's what it is, isn't it? It's yeah. the, it's the recognizing that it is a mental illness, mm-hmm. and so then thinking about the misconceptions that people have in the community, definitely from that show Hoarders. What are some of the misconceptions that you know you hear of yourself? Probably the biggest misconception is that these people are lazy and that they're choosing to split Yeah. Um, and that really makes me mad because you wouldn't you wouldn't say, I mean, they do say it to some people with mental illnesses, but, you know, you wouldn't say to somebody, oh, you've just got schizophrenia on purpose. You're like, you know, they don't demonise you know the the actual disease um, and, and you don't you don't say to somebody, you know, who... I don't know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, the flu, oh, it's all your own, own fault, you're laying there, you're just being lazy. Um, it's, you know, you're not, you're sick, you've got an illness. And, you know, I see comments on social media when it comes to discussions of people who board or putting property clean-outs or words make the news. And, you know, the comments in the in, make me really sad because, you know, they say, you know, these 
you know, or they just just throw it all out. You know, what, you know, they just need to throw it all out. They're just being lazy. It's like actually they're not. These people work really hard. They're, it takes actually takes a lot to maintain the high volume of those belongings, and and they are paddling really hard. They might be paddling in the wrong pond as far as achieving the goal of decluttering goes, but they are paddling really hard. You know, they're working. Um, always working on moving their stuff around and trying to keep it functional and trying to keep their home, you know, functional and working. Uh, and it takes a lot of effort to do that. The last thing they are is lazy. Um, they have a mental illness. They have compulsions and they have attachment. And, you know, those are the things that they have and they can't, it's not their fault. It's not a choice. Mm. I mean, yeah. it's a choice sometimes with some people who hoard, they do choose to have a high volume of belongings for certain reasons. They feel safer. They feel secure. It, it meets an emotional need. Um, it's a self-soothing activity. So sometimes those are choices, but they don't choose for it to have a negative effect on anyone else. That's mm. not a choice. They're choosing. If they are choosing to have high volumes of belongings, they're choosing it for themselves. They're not actually choosing it to harm others. And that's what makes me upset when people think that or, or make that assumption or comment that, that they're just deliberately harming, you know, everyone around them, um, but that they're not doing that at all purpose. So what are some of the things that either family or friends could do to support people with hoarding behaviours? Um, well, there's a difference between hoarding behaviours and hoarding disorder. Okay. Um, and so with hoarding behaviours, we all have them to some degree. Um, we, we had, uh, I had to, a bit of a clean out of our bedside tables recently. I pulled them out and there was this dust all behind them. And um, one of our bedside tables is missing its back. So it just fills with dust and I don't notice. And so I've sort of pulled that out and recently I was cleaning it. And I found, you know, a few things of mine that I was like, oh, I didn't know these were here. And they were like um, some old diaries. And and I was thinking, you know, well, I'll better hang on to those. <laughs> and straight away I was like, we all do this thing where we're like, oh, I have to hang on to that. You know, and, and there's certain things that we will stash away, even though we might not use it. And those of us that are crafty will do the same thing. I have a my stash of wool at the moment is slightly over capacity. <laughs> and I need to do something about that before my husband says, you know, you need to get rid of this big bag of wool on the floor of the living room before I, you know, really get sick and looking about it. <laughs> And so we do, we do that. And so we'll all have little collections of stuff that we're keeping for just in case or just for when or, you know, a spare or, you know, the, they, you can't deal with the emotions of getting rid of them, um, those kinds of things. We, we all sort of hoard with a, a lowercase h. All of us do it to some degree. Um, it might be just one little thing or it might be lots of things. Um, and so if you are helping, a, if you want to help a family member with regards to their hoarding behaviours, it will be only if that person has said, I need help. That's the only time to help. So um, you don't offer. <laughs> I mean, you can offer if they if they report distress. You can intervene if they're unsafe. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation if someone's unsafe and saying, look, I'm really worried about you. Um, I'm worried that you can't get out your back door because if there's a fire, there's going to be a problem. So, you know, having that conversation is fine. Um, but just coming in and saying, you know, like, oh, can, I, can you just let me loose on your kitchen bench, please? I can't bear seeing it like this anymore. That's not the right thing to do at all you mind your own business with regards to their kitchen bench um, unless they say to you like your kitchen bench is always clean and mine's always messy have you got any tips or can you help out then you can be like yes <laughs> I would love to help you know but until it's requested or it's a duty of care issue you stay out of it you keep your mouth shut you can inspire them with your own decluttering you can you know do all that kind of stuff but it's their business not yours so that's probably my first tip is only when it's a duty of care issue or they have asked for help should you intervene or offer help otherwise just leave it up to them um, and wait until they ask you for support and also be non-judgmental because if you are worried about a family member and their levels of clutter and if you are 
saying to them all the time, like, when are you going to get rid of that stuff? Why can't you use your spare room yet? You shouldn't have the spare room so full. And you're constantly sort of at them. Um, and I had a one client whose brother was always saying, you're just going to fall over and die one day. One day we're going to find your debt because you're going to fall over your stuff. You know, and it was like, nag, nag, nag. And it feels then like a judgment. Now, if somebody feels like they're being judged by somebody, that's not the person they're going to go to for help. So if you are offering a judgment in any way, you might even, not even know you're doing it, but if you are offering any judgment and they're feeling judged, you're not going to be the person they ask for help. So it's better to remain open so that if they do decide they want help, they feel safe saying something to you. So that's where you say, you know, you, you, you ignore the state of their house. And when they say, oh, the house is a mess, you can, you can say, you know, oh, well, you know, mine's often a mess too, you know, non-judgmental validating, normalising, all that kind of stuff. And if they then said something like, I wish I knew how to clean it up, that's when you can say to them, yeah, well, if you ever want any help, let me know, you know, I think, you know, I think we could have some fun doing that together, you know, or something like that. Uh, again, not, oh, I will do it for you, don't do that. But, you know, I can give you a hand. I can, you know, I can give you some moral support while you have a go at, you know, attacking the scary room or something like that. I can, you know, if you need a hand, yell out. And, you know, by you being non-judgmental, by you not offering to do it for them, not taking over, all that kind of stuff, they're going to feel much safer in asking for help. Yeah, they're amazing tips because, yes, I hear that all the time from people ringing up and, I've got this family member and it's like, hang on, you're ringing on behalf of someone else that unless they're ringing, I'm not going to be, you know, speaking to you in regards to this unless there is, say, dementia or something like that. But uh, and it's, yes, yes, yeah, but otherwise it's not. So they're great tips for people to think about when they've got a family member that they're concerned about and how they can actually support them. So what about as a professional organiser? What do you do to support people with hoarding behaviour or hoarding disorder? Either one or both, you can say, yeah. Look, I have, there's only a few clients that I have with actual hoarding disorder. Um, yeah. Most have really high clutter needs or there's, I've obviously got clients with, with um, medium needs as well. But those with high levels of clutter, it's often not necessarily caused by hoarding disorder. It's caused by something else. You know, <laughs> it's caused by a neurodiversity um, it's very easy when you have executive dysfunction to allow a benign neglect to take over the house to some degree where things or if you've got uh, overwhelm um, and then you have avoidance, you know, there's that pile. And if you've got an executive dysfunction and you, you get overwhelmed when um, there are a lot of things to do or where there are multiple steps or some complexities involved in a particular task, then your brain will not allow you to do that task. doesn't matter how much you want to do it. Your brain will be like, no, nah, we're not doing that. And so, you know, that's that sort of uh, will then build up over time into levels of clutter. So people with ADHD often have, you know, doom piles and doom boxes and, and piles scattered around that that they their brain is just refusing to let them deal with, even though the thing is annoying them and they really want it to go. Um, they just can't, you know, do that. That task initiation uh, is, is, is um, difficult and that overwhelm where their brain just shuts down, you know, and it's, I described it to my mother-in-law. She was kind of, she's very neurotypical and she doesn't, she doesn't understand, didn't really understand me. And it was interesting that, you know, I've known her for 25 years now. We had a conversation recently about this and I was trying to describe this ADHD overwhelm avoidance to her. And I said, okay, imagine there's like a blob of something icky on the carpet over there near the wall. And we looked at her perfect carpet and she's like, okay, I'm imagining that. <laughs> and I said, like, you know, and I said, me with ADHD, if it's my house, if it's your house, you know, I, might, I could ignore it or I would clean it up for you. But if it's my house, I would look at that and go, ooh, 
there's something gross over there. I'm going to have to deal with that. And as soon as I say I'm going to have to deal with that, and as soon as I acknowledge how gross it is, this big glass wall comes up in front of me and I can't get past that wall to the thing. I want to do it because I don't want my house smelling uh, or I don't want to stand in the thing, but there's this wall in the way and I just can't do it because it's icky and it's going to involve some kind of complexity and I have an obligation to do it. So straight away I get all of this avoidance, executive dysfunction. And I said to her, you know, there's ways to break down the wall. You know, I can find something that's more icky to avoid on the other side of the room and then all of a sudden this wall comes down and I can do this ickiness to avoid the other worse ickiness. So that's a really great way to get something done is to find something worse than that. Or I can have a buddy come and say, let's do it together, and then the wall comes down. Or someone else can do it for me and the wall will come down. Um, Or I can, you know, I'll just ignore the wall and then all of a sudden one day it'll just be gone and I'll just go over and do the icky thing but it might take me six months to do it um, and I was describing that to her and she's like oh you know that's that's just really interesting and then she looked at me and she said that does explain a lot <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah yeah she knows me well you know so I think I think she's been watching me over the years and puzzling over why I've had the you know behaviors that I've had before um, and so now she's like, oh, this is all making sense. Um, so, yeah, so it's that. And, and so even if you've just, if it's, it's, a, if it's neurodiversity, um, if it's trauma, um, PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, all of these different um, obstacles that, that someone might, might have can all cause a heavily cluttered environment. Um, and then you've got addictive personalities. You've got people who shop compulsively. They're not necessarily um, hoarding. They're just shopping um, and they don't have time to send it out as fast as it comes in. You know, they haven't got around to it yet. Um, and if they do, they can quite happily get rid of things. You know, they're not, they don't have haughty behaviours, but they have the collective behaviours and it builds up. Mm. Um, and people with autism have special interests, you know, and if they've got lots of special interests, they'll bring all sorts of different things home because of that. And it's not necessarily hoarding, it's collecting and it's not caused by hoarding disorder, it's caused by the autism. Autism, So there's yeah. so many different reasons why somebody might have a cluttered environment. And I've only just touched on a few of them. Um, And so it's really important for professionals to understand that, you know, labelling somebody a hoarder, first of all, is is wrong. First of all, it's incorrect for a majority of (laughs) cases that I've dealt with that have been called hoarders. Secondly, there is a stigma attached to that. Thirdly, you are labelling um, condition first. If you are labelling them with an illness, you're labelling condition first, not person first. You know, people with hoarding disorder are people, they're intelligent. They've always got above average intelligence, one of the hallmarks of, of hoarding disorder. Above average intelligence, really high interest in things, an ability to see things that, that we can't see. They've got like this superpower where they can see more attributes. They've got more connections in their brain and they can see more attributes of a, an item than, than what somebody else without the disorder can. And so, you know, they're, they are a whole person and they've got hopes and they've got dreams and all that kind of stuff. And by calling them a hoarder, you're just reducing them to one of their behaviours or you're reducing them to their mental illness. And so, you know, using that word for a start, I try and, you know, you've probably seen me say mm. in, within our industry, don't this, um, say person with hoarding disorder or person and with hoarding behaviours um, because there are people. You might have some that self-identify and say, oh, I'm a hoarder. Yeah. That's cool. Let them roll with that. That's fine. Um, but just don't go calling them a hoarder yourself, you know, um, just maintain that level of professionalism um, and use appropriate language around mental illness is quite important to reduce stigma and stuff like that. So, you know, 
as professionals, we have to understand, yeah, there's all these different reasons. And because there are all these different reasons, there are all these different approaches. And so, again, it has to come down to a person-centred approach. Like, what what is this behaviour? Where is this behaviour coming from? Um, and then how can we tackle it from the direction it needs to be tackled in that, that, that the, the client wants to or is comfortable doing? And then also understanding that people have complex relationships with their belongings. They have different needs to us and they have different tolerance levels to us and they have different thoughts about things to us. Some clients will really anthropomorphise objects and some professional organisers wouldn't even consider anthropomorphising something. But, you know, the fact that um, my client will say to me, you know, if I get rid of those three teddies, then the other three will have survivor guilt. You know, it's that... (laughs) It's that yeah. real thing. Like they really think like that. And by saying to her, don't be stupid, teddies don't have feelings, or like, huh, what are you talking about? Why would a teddy have survivor guilt? By saying that, we're, again, not seeing it from that client's perspective. Um, and so all of these things are really important. And I think a lot of people will go into other people's homes with their own lens on mm. and without putting that client's lens on um, and so they go in and they they dictate the terms of what's going to happen they're the ones who dictate how long the session is going to be you know they dictate you know what's what language to use they dictate how the paperwork is done everything's dictated by whereas if you're looking at clients with complex needs you need to look at it from their perspective you know can they um can they process you know all of this information, can they process that in, in the same way that, that someone else might? Um, do you need to adjust anything to, to suit that? You know, um, you know, I had one client who emailed me and she was brilliant. She sent me this really long email and obviously she's really self-aware and she's obviously dealt with a lot of service providers. Um, and she just said to me, these are the things that I need from you. I need emails that are less than three dot points. I need you to um, say things very clearly. I cannot understand grey areas um, I'm very literal do not use sarcasm with me do not expect me to read between the lines do not expect me to understand what you're saying unless you've actually said it expect me to take everything you say completely literally and it was really helpful um, yeah that's to great those guidelines you know and if you don't get and most clients won't tell you that you have to figure this stuff out yourself because they don't know to tell you um, but one of the things I teach other professional organizers when working with complex cases is you know, um, tell them that you understand they have needs and that they are able to express them. You know, tell them it's okay to stim in front of you. Tell them it's okay to cry. Tell them you understand if they need to go and disappear for 10 minutes and be on their own. Tell them all of these things so that they think, they feel like, okay, this person gets me. I'm, I don't, I can act myself. I can do things that I need to do instead of, like my client who had this five-hour session um, and she said, you know, she was only half an hour in before she was feeling really anxious. And so for two hours, she, she just she went going, through. wow. Yeah, she just kept going. And she and eventually, and I said to her that I was so proud of her for stopping the session yeah. because, you know, she could have tried to go for the whole five hours, um, but she knew her limits and she eventually plucked up the courage to say, this isn't working for me. It has to yeah. end. You must leave, you yeah. leave now. And she said, I'm upset. And, oh, but, yeah. you know, um, she said, you have to leave now. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the, you know, and, and I had a client say to me once, you know, you have to leave now. And I'm like, you know, I'm so sorry that I missed that cue earlier. I'm really, like, I'm really sorry. And she said, it's okay. She said, I didn't really tell you properly. 
but I've reached my limit now. And I said, okay, and then we wrapped it up and I left. And then we yeah. came back in a week later and we're all good. And then we made some changes to how we were going to do things next time. You know, I was, you know, going to check in with her sooner. She was going to check in with herself sooner. You know, yeah. we were going to sort of work that out. Um, but those are the things that we need, the conversations that, that are really helpful to have so that you don't traumatise a client. Definitely. By doing something that's sort of not, not in the realms of their capabilities or um, their, their energy levels and use up all yeah. the spoons in, in the first half an hour of the session. <laughs> you've put it just so beautifully, Beck, because I love that it's like you've you've rounded out what sometimes our job looks like so well because there's so much more to it than just making a beautiful pantry or a drawer look nice. There's yeah. so much yeah. more to the job as a professional organiser um, that meets the eye really, isn't there? It's all about communication and working with the person and um, it's people relationships, isn't it? Building relationships. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's making sure and it's keeping and it's all about making sure people are safe. Everyone's safe. Yes. Like, you know, you have to be safe and your client has to be safe. And as far as vulnerable clients go, safety is really important. Mm. And safety doesn't just mean, oh, you know, that they're, that you're picking up after yourself so that your client doesn't fall over. Safety means checking on them and saying, do you need to take a break? Oh, There's yeah, the emotional like part. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Safety and that yeah. energy safety and all yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, th- th- those are the things that are that are um, really important. And you know, you still can. And this is the thing: there are professional organisers out there who don't really work with the clients mm. at all. You know, they go in and they go. The client says, "Go do the pantry for me. Don't care what yep. you do. Just make it look amazing and make it functional for me." And and you know, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Here, do it like this. And then the organiser can go in and do that, and that's great. Like. There are def- there's definitely a need for that service. Yes, there are yes. Clients who yeah. just want someone to come in and go make it amazing for me, um, and, and I'll be back in four hours, and yeah. that's cool. Um, and I think that the, the responsibility of professional organisers is to understand which yes. client you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a client that can handle this? To can do that, or are you dealing with a client that needs this? Um, and it's working that out and making sure that it's completely client-centric um, and person-centred, the approach that you take and that everyone is on the same page, everyone knows what everyone else is doing, you know, yeah. what their responsibilities, what their expectations are, all of that kind of stuff is really important, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Beck, for joining me. How can people connect with you? Uh, I'm on uh, www.rebeccamazzino.com.au. Thank you so much for your time, Beck. It's been so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining me for today's Simply Happy Conversation. If you'd like to reduce your paper and digital clutter and free yourself from the overwhelm of clutter so that you can claim back time and space to enjoy the things you love, head over to simplyhappy.com.au in the resource section and grab the declutter checklist and start to reduce your clutter even with small amounts of time. I'd like to acknowledge the Wadharong people of the Kulin Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging.